Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on fair and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest and best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman. I'm founder of Question Mark and EVP of Industry Relations and Business Development at Lonosity, the assessment technology company. And today, I'm really pleased to welcome Matt Wingfield, who's a genuine assessment expert, having been chair of the E-Assessment Association from 2012, and then its CEO. And he's also a consultant and a speaker on e-assessment and very, very knowledgeable, as we'll see in a moment on the assessment market. Welcome, Mac. Hi, John. Thank you very much for having me. Very pleased to have you. And can I start with a question I, I always ask people, how did you get into assessment? Well, really, and truthfully, it was by accident. Um, you know, I started my career as a teacher, as an elementary school teacher, um, moved into the world of ed tech and started working for a, an ed tech company that was primarily focused on supporting the learning aspect of, um, of, of education uh, in, in primary schools, colleges, universities, and, and work-based learning. Um, and then migrated with them into the assessment space and, and headed up a division for them, uh, providing assessment solutions to, to their customers. Um, and that, as I say, really brought me into the assessment world. So that was probably around 2000 uh, when I uh, first became actively involved in that assessment community. Um, so some 23 years ago, which is quite um, scary when I think back at, at the, the length of time that represents. And I think before moving to assessment, you were in e-portfolios, e which are a kind of assessment. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I, so, so it's it's interesting, and and I think maybe maybe as a, a slightly roundabout way of answering that question, I think there's often um, a view that assessment and learning are somehow disconnected from each other. Um, at least at a policy level, that's quite often the case. And I think that's you know a complete falsism that that you know education is founded on the concept of learning as a continuum and the assessment is there to support the learner through that journey and help them understand and their teacher to understand where they are as they as they go through that journey and that's where the power of e-portfolio comes in in my mind and and it was e-portfolio you're right that, that that brought me into this space so the company i worked for um created an an evidence-based um assessment uh, platform, which was in 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 other words, uh, an e-portfolio. So, in a basic in basic terms, e-portfolio is a an online repository. It doesn't actually have to be online, but a, a digital repository of, of of student learning evidence that shows their journey over time um, and how that's developed and how they've collaborated with other people and um, uh, and, and built up a, a, a range of knowledge and skills that they can demonstrate. Um, and and what the company I used to work for, which was was called Digital Assess, did is took that concept, created an online repository, but then gave the ability for both the learner and teachers to tag the evidence that that learner put into their portfolio against assessment criterion, um, so that they could demonstrate skills and knowledge that they'd attained um, against a particular qualification or a, a particular aspect that they were being assessed against. Um, and that's, I say, that's what brought me into the world of assessment, but from a, a slightly different angle 
which um, for me highlighted that separation between learning and assessment and how they're treated as being um, often treated as being different things when actually they should be um, working in harmony together. And I think uh, even before that, you started life, uh, work life as a primary school teacher, elementary school teacher. I did. Yes. Yeah. It was. Um, I'd always liked the idea of of working with children, and I found certainly working as a as a, a primary school teacher, elementary school teacher, very very rewarding. I, my um, the age group I was working with was sort of the um, sort of ten to eleven year olds, which are, are just at that really nice age where they're you know they're still eager and hungry to learn, but they. they they do thrive on your support in, in, in terms of that journey, which is, is a, means it's a very rewarding um, process as a teacher. But to be honest, um, paperwork became an increasingly big part of a teacher's life. It's even worse these days. Um, and I just found that that started to erode the, uh, uh, the, the benefit that I could take away personally in terms of working with the children to help them advance. It was all about um, ticking the boxes and making sure that we'd covered um, those parts of the curriculum. So I actually was was headhunted into working um, for an organization that ran study centers where school groups could visit um, and uh, use what was then high-tech uh, IT equipment. Looking back on it, it was very, very old tech, um, big monolithic desktop computers, um, but with some data logging and some other um, stuff going on that allowed them to interact with the uh, the environment around them in the study centre. So I set up and ran a study centre for this organisation in North Norfolk, um, which was great, but it was 24-7, um, seven days a week. And I and I only lasted a year before I, um, I got a little burnt out and uh, was uh, then headhunted by the organisation that provided a lot of the educational software to that centre to uh, to run their business development function and work with both companies and educational institutions that they uh, they were working with with the uh, the software that they provided, which was very much focused around creativity and um, problem solving and open ended demonstration of capability, which was a really interesting and fun area to be in, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and stayed with that organisation for for twenty years. Well, well, and very topical of really about creativity and, and problem solving things. Let's come back to that in a mm. in a few minutes. But wh- why don't you tell us what the E-Assessment Association is and a little bit of the story of how it's grown? Yeah, so uh, so I often describe the E-Assessment Association for those of well, so first of all, let's describe what it is, um, and then I can give a little bit of background on how it came to be. Um, so the association is is there to help propagate and support best practice in in all forms of assessment. Um, whether that's formative or summative um, or, or mixtures of the two. Um, and in all sectors of education, from, from uh, K-12 schools all the way through to university and work-based and professional learning. Um, and uh, it's all about sharing best practice. So we have a, an annual conference, which takes place in June, um, which we'll give a, a bit of a sound check to again later on. Um, and uh, there's a newsletter that goes out um, six times a year. There's a range of podcasts that, similarly to this, try and help support people's understanding of what's possible in the use of technology in, edu- in, in assessment. Um, and we have 
nearly three and a half thousand members now, um, which are truly global, so from all, all parts of the world. But actually, I always describe it, well, the, the, the start point of the association, which was in 2008, um, as a niche within a niche, because it was founded by two university professors from Heriot Watt University in Scotland, who had a particular interest in using technology to assess mathematics. So, the early days of the association were all about supporting the assessment of mathematics in higher education education. Um, and when I joined the board of the association in 2010, uh, as their membership secretary initially, one of the things that I was really keen to do was to um, allow the association to grow more broadly than that and to allow that best practice sharing and um, an exemplification of, of best practice um, across the whole um, gamut of, of use of, of, of assessment um, right across education. So, when I became chair in 2012, more, more by default than anything else, because I was the slowest to step back when we were looking for a successor to our founding chair, Cliff Beavers. Um, that was one of the mantras that I took forward, really trying to broaden the, the scope and the reach of that, which, you know, the association has achieved. It's, uh, it's, it's as I say, three and a half thousand members now from right around the, the world compared to, you know, a couple of hundred members when I um, initially got engaged in 2010. I think it's a very impressive organization and, and I think it used to be very UK focused, but I think it's now much more European and, and global focused, uh, which is good. Do you want to just um, uh, share the URL of the Assessment Association? And uh, I think there's a, the conference is in the first week of June and uh, I think this podcast will go out before then. And uh, last year it did sell out, but there might uh, still be uh, seats available. It was a very good conference last year. Yeah, no, thank you, John. That's um, appreciated. Yes. Yeah, so the URL for the association is, is a simple one. It's e dash assessment.com. Um, it's completely free to become an individual member. So, if this is an area that you are interested in, this whole use of technology and supporting assessment and testing, then please do join. Um, takes a couple of minutes and, as I say, doesn't cost anything. Brings you into that um, broader community. Um, the conference is something we hold every year. Uh, it's uh, become a bit of a go-to place now to um, understand what's happening in the market and to hear some really good examples and case studies of, of, of best practice use of technology and assessments. It uh, takes place in central London this year at the Park Plaza Hotel uh, on the uh, the north, uh, the southern embankment um, in central London, just uh, just downstream a little bit from the, uh, the Houses of Parliament. A really nice location, 6th and 7th of June. Um, and it isn't quite sold out yet. I think we're about 70% capacity at the moment. Um, but if you are interested in coming along and um, participating in that conference, then you can buy tickets um, through the website. Go to the same website, e-assessment.com, and there's a, uh, a tab on the top line for the conference that will take you to the conference website where you can book your tickets. So you've seen the assessment industry for well a decade or more as in as leading the assessment association, and obviously before that in, in other sectors. What kind of trends would you say that you've seen the industry change in the last ten to fifteen years? I think when I first became involved in the association and the industry, particularly, it there was a huge focus on testing knowledge, testing the ability of for a student to regurgitate knowledge that they have learnt um, in whatever context that is. And I think that has changed as people's understanding of what we should be assessing has matured. And maybe that's too strong because I think it's 
been a, a collective decision to look at richer forms of assessment by the sector as a whole or by the community, the education community as a whole. It's not just that there was an ignorance about that um, at the beginning. But certainly, there's been a maturing of people's understanding about how technology can help you assess things that are difficult to assess on a piece of paper or um, necessarily just sitting in front of someone in a scalable way. It's difficult to send an assessor out to watch everybody doing all of the things that they're doing in, in, a, in a broader context. Well, we can use technology to scale that assessor and to make it possible to go and um, watch them do stuff and observe them do stuff. So, I think that the overall trend I've seen is that people's understanding of what technology can do has matured significantly and their trust in the ability of technology to be able to do that has also matured significantly. And I think in no small way, the pandemic's really helped with that journey because pre-pandemic, you know, there was lots of there was lots of really good technology out there that could support assessment um, and a, a real breadth of different assessment approaches. But people were always nervous about making the jump from the pen and paper that they know won't let them down to a piece of technology that was somehow unknown or uncertain. And the reality is actually, if you compare those two modes, yes, there's a, there's a fundamental physical difference, but actually the reliability of the technology is very, very favorable to the pen and paper now. And if, if not more so, because bits of paper can get lost far more easily than digital evidence can get lost. Um, and so you, that maturity of understanding has been, I, I suspect, my my biggest observation. And people's uh, at a policy level and at an exam and test awarding level, the maturity of their confidence in technology has has really grown. There were there were always some trailblazers in this space. So if I look back to 2000 when I first um, joined the assessment community, um, people like City and Guilds, who are a large vocational um, awarding body based in the UK but operating internationally, were already delivering um, on-screen digital assessments. And their journey has just increased in its richness as they've gone through those intervening 23 years, Whether, whereas other similar organisations have only just joined that e-assessment um, path, primarily as a result of the pandemic and the and the uh, the huge impact that that had on on everyday learning and assessment practice, um, but generally speaking, as a collective now, so much more confidence in technology, so much rec more recognition of the fact that technology can help us step back and think about what it is that we want to assess, and then find ways to support that process of assessing that kind of that kind of mature evidence, like creativity and problem solving and critical thinking. And so the latest technology is obviously generative AI and chat GPT. Uh, how do you see that impacting the world of assessment? Well, you know, if anything, I think it's going to help the trend and support the trend that I was just talking about even more. There are two schools of, of thought here, aren't there, around um, generative AI and, and, and its ability to help um, the student, help in, in inverted commas in some people's minds. The first camp is, let's just ignore it. You know, and let's ban it. And and there have been quite a few universities and a few states in the US that have done that. They've just said students aren't allowed to use ChatGPT. Um, or there's the let's embrace it camp and let's think about how we can use this to our advantage. And I'm very much in the in the latter. I think the former is 
folly because it's very difficult to shut something like that off when and and and, and even if you do it's counterproductive because the students are going to have to use that technology once they leave that formal education setting and they need to have the skills to um to use that wisely and i think that's that's the key thing it's about you know technology doesn't stand still um technology evolves we can't stop that evolution and our learners of today need to be properly equipped to deal with that technology when they come out into the world or when they advance further in their career so actually embracing some of this new technology i think makes a lot of sense but what it the biggest implication it has from an assessment perspective is that of course students can cheat using chat gpt um, in the same way if we th- if we think about it that they could already cheat with google or they could already cheat with wikipedia and actually what these tools mean is that we have to rethink what it is that we really need to assess in those learners and we have to think about the way in which we're going to do that is that just a multiple choice question test well, I would argue that that's difficult. It creates challenges because that's easily cheated. If we're, you know, test security aside, you know that 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 kind of information, that knowledge recall is is in some ways redundant because these tools allow us to access that kind of knowledge. Um, are we going to write? Ask them just to write an essay? Well, again, that's got problems. ChatGPT can write you an essay, and okay, it's not perfect, but it does a pretty good job. So actually, what we need to try and do is build an assessment landscape that uses a mixture of different modalities to assess a student's capability. So yes, there's some multiple choice to test that they can still recall the knowledge, which is important in, in certainly in some, some professions particularly. Yes, we want them to write an extended response, but let's also get them to, sh- to demonstrate um, that they can perform a skill or that they can interact with a client or a potential client and they have the skills in which they can undertake a professional discussion so that we build a balanced view of their capabilities. And let's not leave it all until the last minute when they're sitting in a, an exam hall for three hours um, uh, when they're trying to, you know, cram all of that assessment into that one piece, let's take stock of their formative learning journey all the way through. So again, going back to that e-portfolio kind of stuff that I was talking about earlier on, because then we'll be able to spot much more easily if there are sudden spikes in a student's capability because they've suddenly started using ChatGPT to get all of the answers, because we'll have a much fuller picture. And even more revolutionary, God forbid we have another pandemic, but if we have something that interferes with our assessment regime like a pandemic, we've also got formative evidence that we can fall back on as uh, an evidence of their capability and both the student and their teachers understand where they are on that journey. So again, it's not all leaving it to the cliff edge at the end where we do one big summative assessment. We're spreading that load, which helps attack that malpractice risk, but also helps mitigate against big catastrophic events that disrupt our our, our single summative um, event taking place. So that's very interesting. You said that in the beginning of your career, you were involved in assessing creativity, and you kind of implied that uh, 
we can use technology to assess things like creativity or problem solving or whatever, but creativity is a really quite hard thing to assess. How can you use technology or indeed other means to assess creativity? It is definitely a very hard thing to assess. And I don't think technology provides necessarily the solution to it, but I think that it, what it does is allows you to, like I was just describing, I guess, take um, a, a longer view of a student's capability over an extended period of time. Um, and that extended period of time might just be a week, it might be several weeks, it might be several months. But that gives you the opportunity to allow the student to um, interact with other people on a project or to um, demonstrate that they can solve a problem by actually physically solving a problem. Um, so we're not we're not restricted to what they can do in 30 minutes or an hour or or whatever in an exam. We're actually able to use the technology. I remember I remember being involved in a project that was all about capturing creativity and problem solving, critical thinking, that was run by Goldsmiths University and uh, who are part of the University of London. And one of the professors there was talking about the fact that what we want the technology to do is to hoover up all of that evidence that, that naturally occurs as students are learning and demonstrating that they can work together and that they can solve problems and then present that in a way that teachers can easily understand to understand where they are collaborating, where they are solving problems and how that matches against rubrics. And that we did. We solved that problem through this um, this uh, Goldsmiths project called the Escape project by using an ePortfolio. It allowed the technology allowed us to capture snapshots of their performance all the way through um, a, a period of time um, to then be able to dissect it around how they were interacting with other people and how they were solving problems. So I think, you know, to go back to your to your original question. Those skills are difficult to assess, but one of the reasons that they are difficult to assess is that it's very difficult to get a clear picture of a student's or multiple students' capabilities in those areas because we try to capture it in an hour sitting in front of a computer asking them some questions. And, you know, organizations like PISA, they try to do this and they, 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 um, they say that they can assess creativity by answering, by asking students a, a series of multiple choice and, and uh, short response questions. I contend that because I think that that's um, slightly false. It's a, um, a constructed creativity. Um, I think the, 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 real, the real nugget is the creativity and the problem solving that students undertake as part of their natural learning. And if we can use technology to capture insight into that journey, um, then we, we end up with a much richer view on their capabilities in those areas. So, so essentially, if you just do a, a conventional kind of test, then you get a very narrow view of people's creativity or perhaps problem solving because it doesn't necessarily come on demand or you need problem solving. You might need to think about it or sleep on it or other things. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, just, just what you've said. And also, of course, you've got to throw into the mix that the person may not be on their best performance, um, you know, on the day that you're testing them. So, if again, if you're able to use technology to take a, a longer view of that, then you've got a more reasonable chance of capturing them at their best or at least um, a good representation of their best um, during that extended period, rather than saying, right, on Tuesday at 3.30, I want you to be creative or I want you to solve a problem 
problem. And actually, when you think of it in that context, that's quite a silly thing to be suggesting. But yet we do it. And we do it so much in our high stakes testing that says, you know, on this day, at this particular hour, you've got to be your best possible self in order to demonstrate to us that you're capable of these things. And Yes, some people can do that, but quite a lot of people can't. Um, so using technology to get a broader spectrum view of a, a person's capability, I think, is the real answer. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. So I think as well as being in, uh, leading the Assessment Association, in fact, probably more of, your, more of your time spent on consulting, what kind of consulting do you do? Yeah, so no, it is um, more and more now. So I left the the world of being employed um, in 2017. It was quite a, um, a, a hard and nerve wracking thing to do, having been employed by um, the same organisation for 20 years. But I worked, branched out into providing independent consultancy. Uh, fundamentally, I suppose you can break the consultancy down into two uh, into two groups. The first group is focused on supporting. Um, ed tech and e-assessment um, vendors, suppliers of technology um, around uh, building their strategies, um, supporting their business development processes for breaking into new markets um, and new sectors within, within the markets. And that's an area that I know really well because that was the role that I was doing you know, in my former employed life in business development. Um, and I've worked with a wide range of organizations um, in that capacity from, you know, large assessment organizations like RM um, through to small innovative uh, ed tech providers like Sparks, who provide a, an AI-based um, mathematics learning tool. And that's been really interesting. And that's one of the things I really relish about the consultancy piece is it, there's always something different um, uh, to, to, to look at and be involved in. And then the second group of, of, of people that I um, support are um, assessment providers, so exam awarding bodies, um, test providers. And um, that's been really interesting because it, and I sort of fell into that a bit by accident when I was approached by one of the UK's largest awarding bodies to help them with a procurement project where they were trying to select a new assessment platform provider using my experience and my externality, I suppose, um, uh, on, on the process. And that was really interesting because I've spent my whole career selling to those organizations and suddenly I find myself on the other side of the fence and supporting the, uh, the procurement process. And I've, at the moment, I think I've got six or seven awarding organization clients where I'm supporting them, not just on procurement, but also on how to maximize the use of the technology they've already got in deploying effective assessments. Um, it's a fascinating part of the work that I do um, and one that I really enjoy. So, look, we always like to share some good practice on this podcast. Could you perhaps, first of all, maybe share some good practice for tech, e-assessment vendors looking to uh, do, do new things, and then perhaps exam organizations or test publishers or others, uh, uh, sort of what advice would you give from the different angles? Let's start with the sort of vendors. What, what advice would you give vendors? Yeah, and I think there is some commonality across the two groups, by the way. Um, and, 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 and I always think none of this is rocket science. None of this is, um, is, is, isn't obvious when you step back and think about it. But that's the problem for many people is you get so focused on the day-to-day -day that it's very difficult to step back. And so, particularly from a supplier 
perspective. I think it's important to be focused on what you are good at doing and not trying to be all things to all people. And that goes to the technology itself. You know, if you're really, really good at delivering large scale, high scale, multiple choice questions, then focus on that and grow that and make that the best thing that you can do um, and the best in the market at doing that. Because the e-assessment community now is, is, is more and more crowded, particularly in the UK with uh, with vendors trying to sell their solutions. So identify what you're good at doing and do more of that. Don't try to be all things to all people. And the other temptation, which is quite mistake is probably hard, too hard a word, but quite an easy trap to fall into. When you've got something particularly innovative, it's very easy to try and sell that to everybody and to find new use cases in different markets. Because often new technologies take a while to embed in a market. So so don't give up on the core markets that you're you know that there's synergy with with your innovative technology. Keep focused on that. Don't get caught being pulled off at a tangent to a completely different sector because someone's shown some interest in your technology. Keep keep true to your course. I think that's um that's really my my overarching advice. Decide what you're good at and really focus that and bring all of your pull of all of your resources onto onto that thing. And supposing you're an examining organization looking to work with suppliers or uh, or starting a new digital project, what advice would you give them? I think it's 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 similar but it but slightly different. I think it is about focusing on what you're good at doing still. But in the assessment context, it's about deciding what it is that you really want to assess and, and then how best to go about doing that. So there's all there's a temptation. And it's, a, again, very easy trap to fall into to keep doing the same thing and just using technology to try and make it more efficient. And that's definitely a positive thing. You know, if we can make things quicker, if we can make it easier for the staff of an awarding body to get through processes more quickly, um, then they've got more capacity to do to do more stuff. But are we in inadvertently missing the opportunity to use tech, new technologies or, or different approaches to assess different things, which actually carry more monetary value, if you like, for the learner in, in, in the 21st century. And I think a really good example, if you don't mind me quoting a specific example here, is something that an, an awarding organization I've done quite a bit of work for now called Nibosh, who are a UK-based but internationally um, working organization who focus in the health and safety sector. The pandemic caused a real problem for them because most of their assessments were delivered on a sessional basis where everybody went into a test center or logged on at exactly the same time and did an assessment. And the pandemic put pay to that. It was, it was very, very difficult for them to be able to, to carry on with that particular model. And it made them and their regulators, which was refreshing that the regulator was involved in this discussion, which in this case was um, the Scottish Qualifications Authority, it made them sit down and think about what it was that they were trying to assess the candidates for. And actually, they'd realized that they weren't necessarily interested in making sure that the candidates could recall all of the information that they wanted to on queue and answer a, a bank of MCQ questions. Actually, what they wanted them to do was to take the knowledge that they had and apply that in their own workplace scenario. So, they shifted their assessment model from a closed book assessment of knowledge to an open book 
um, application of knowledge context. And in doing so, have started to assess things in a much more meaningful way for their, for their um, candidates. And interestingly, and maybe this, I'm hoping this is validation for that kind of thinking, their candidate numbers have just gone through the roof as a result of that, because not only are the assessments more accessible and, and they're on demand, so people can sit them up with more or less when they want to, but they're also focused on demonstrating capability, which translates directly into an ability to do the job better. So, there's a progression there for the candidate themselves. And I want to do this Nibosh qualification because it's going to demonstrate to my boss or to my next employer that I can do the job that I've been hired to do. And that's really important. So, I think it's step back, think about what it is you're trying to assess, and then think about how you are going to assess that with the technology that you have at your disposal. Thank you. I think that's great advice for most people, if not everybody listening to this podcast. So, thank you, Matt. And thank you very much to our audience. Thank you for listening to us today. We really appreciate uh, your support. And don't forget, if you've uh, enjoyed this podcast, why not follow us through your favorite listening platform. Please reach out to me directly at uh, johnandquestionmark.com with any questions. You'll also find Matt at uh, LinkedIn. And uh, I'm sure you're open to some more consulting uh, contracts, at least when the current ones are finished, Matt. Of course. Yes. And uh, but please keep the conversation going. You can also visit the question mark website at questionmark.com to register for any of our many best practice webinars. And thank you again. And please tune in for another exciting podcast we'll be releasing next month. <music>